Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Two more preseason wins for Norwich City. Both came in scorching heat. And let me tell you, the one at Cambridge on Tuesday was not particularly enjoyable to watch the game in. But nonetheless, we were there and we're going to dissect uh, Norwich City's two friendly wins. We've got plenty more to speak about around transfers as well. This is an action-packed Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast uh, coming to you, of course, on Future Radio as well. Connor Southwell joined by Paddy Davitt for this week's show to dissect all the key Norwich City talking points, of which there are plenty as ever. We always say on this podcast, the week is a long time in the Norwich City world, and it's uh, it certainly felt like it this week. But Paddy, before we get to the football, I mean, how are you uh, How are you feeling after what we endured last night at Cambridge? Uh, poor little ass, I know. Again, we, we're going off on that theme, but it was, uh, it was 37 degrees by the time we rocked up at the Abbey. I think that dropped to about 34 by the time kickoff. Um, happened, but actually at the end of the game, we we made the way as as we tend to do from the stand and from the press box to pitch side to speak to Dean Smith and and Jakob Sørensen as it was um, last night. It was actually cooler pitch side than it was probably where where we were sat. It was it was not a particularly pleasant experience, certainly from my perspective anyway. And I, I've got the wrong hair colour for it as well. Well, yeah, and I've got the Celtic Celtic genes in my bloodline, and I don't think the Celts are particularly uh, used to thirty seven slash 100, whatever it is, Fahrenheit. But uh, no, that was, and it was noticeably cooler. Yeah, it was quite surprising, really. It was a nice, cool breeze. It all almost, almost pleasant at pitch side. Um, maybe those players would have a different take on that. But where we were, st- sat at the back of an airless stand, poor us. Um, yeah, no, it wasn't good. I, it's made me quite, quite... Uh, Realise I'm probably not cut out for covering La Liga games or somewhere in a hot climate. South America maybe pertinently with Norwich's latest arrival, but uh, yeah, roll on Scotland as as we said on the team news last night. By all accounts, nineteen twenty. That's that's more my wheelhouse. But um, credit to those players. Yeah, in, in all seriousness, it would have been quite easy to sort of you know use that as an excuse to heat and, and the, the the temperatures. Um, because it was oppressive, even with a bit of a breeze at pitch side. But uh, and we'll get into it in more depth. As, as Dean Smith, I thought superbly encapsulated. It was average City first half, Norwich City in the second half, and that was very much it. But whether the heat was a slight factor in that first half, it was still thirty-four, I think, at kickoff. But um, yeah, no, all in all, it was a good exercise in the end. But uh, I was more than glad to get back to the air-conditioned car for the drive back to Norwich. I've got to be honest. Yeah, likewise. And and if we kind of look at the game and, and that quote from Dean Smith did sum it up nicely, um, it, it kind of shows the ludicrous nature of pre-season, doesn't it? And how difficult it is to, to judge things. And we, we had a, a conversation last week about style of play and that was in the wake of, uh, of the Kings Lynn victory. But Norwich then went to Marseille, looked very, very good and won 3-0. They, they then rock up at the Abbey in that first half. As, you, as Dean Smith described himself, looked very average, probably second best as well against a League One opponent um, who obviously scored before half-time and deservedly so. And had it not have been for a few Michael McGovern wonder saves, really, it, it probably the scoreline probably would have been um, would have been worse. So it 
it just shows how tough preseason is when when you're in when you're in this job and you have to talk about things and analyze things and look for trends. It can be really difficult because because of the obviously the way that preseason alters and the squads change and the different players get different minutes and there's no real rhythm or fluency. It can be quite difficult, and even as we sit here now, uh, a whole host of Norwich City players are yet to play ninety minutes, and that is heading into obviously the, the Scotland doubleheader, where that is the aim for a lot of them. So, it was it was a different type of test. It felt for Norwich City last night, Pad. But I suppose if you're going to reflect on it, that second half probably offered a lot more encouragement off the back of that Marseille performance, whereas the first half to me probably felt a bit more like what we saw at, at Kings Lane last Tuesday night. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. I thought the first half was still very much experimentation and fitness and and the second half was a bit more akin to Marseille in terms of fine-tuning and and what you were talking there, Connor, I've got the team sheet in front of me. That first half, 11, looking down it, and realistically for me, to underline maybe why what did feel a little bit disjointed, I think is Max Aarons, Grant Hanley, Yanoulis, and maybe the GOAT team with Pookie. I think they're they're the only four I would say are probably you could construct a pretty pretty reasonable case that they will start at Cardiff. So, you know, that that tells you the nature of that first half selection was maybe more geared towards minutes and, and balancing off the fitness element. Um, whereas, you know, the second half you, you have the likes of Rashitza and Campwell and Omabama Daly now and uh you know, even Hugel, the way he's put himself forward, Josh Sargent, again, who Dee Smith highlighted for, for what impact he had in that second half. Um, it felt far more cohesive and uh, more of a continuation of what we saw at Marseille. And I think, for me, it's probably, it, if you look at pre-season as a whole, it is, it's sifting out the, the games where, all the parts of games where it's been more about, well, okay, there's mitigation there uh, in terms of the fitness element, in terms of, I need to get player X minutes, not necessarily because they're in my thoughts to start at Cardiff, but that's the nature of pre-season. Uh, you, you do need to, to, to have an even spread, really, um, with a group who you feel you're going to be working with. There's clearly bits and pieces ongoing, uh, and we'll get into that, that. There might be some of these players who were on show at the Abbey who won't be part of it and won't be here, won't be involved. But still at this stage, you, if you're Dean Smith, you need to work on the principle that, that those guys are are still closer to the group you'd be like likely to work with. But I think overall, um it was it was another step in the right direction for me. If you if you balance that off with what we saw in the second half, which was energy, uh drive, um to higher tempo and, and obviously the goals that came as well. And um you know that that better that way around than kind of uh, it tailed off alarmingly in the second half and then you're rolling into Scotland and Glasgow, Celtic and, and Hibs with a bit of a, well, they need to pick it up again. I, I feel if they continue on in the vein they left off uh, at the second half last night, then, you know, they can go there in very positive mood, really, because it, it does feel, and of course we've got, you know, to come in, Gabriel Zara as well, uh, and one or two others as well. It, no Byram, no Gibson last night. It, it does feel, you know, things are now coalescing and coming together and, by no manner of means can we say, right, we know Dean Smith's 11 and we know the style of play in and out of possession. I don't think we're at that stage yet, but but there's there's certainly a path that they're, they're travelling along and you can begin to see now um, extrapolating out the fitness elements and maybe that first half sluggishness that we saw, uh, you know, real sense of 
yeah, this is a group who, who can do something in the championship this season, no, no doubt about it. Yeah, and I thought they were pretty good to watch, actually, in the second half. There were some really nice patterns of play. It was quite dynamic. There was a, a lot more eagerness to press. Um, and it was it was just an, an enjoyable watch, which is probably the, f- the first time, probably minus Marseille, that we've said that about Norwich City in, in a long time. Uh, and we will touch upon that Marseille game. But there's there's a, just a few players that I want to discuss from within last night. And then we'll obviously move on to, to that French aspect, which was so impressive on uh, on Saturday. Um, let, let's start with Jordan Hugel, Pad, because six goals in, in, in pre-season now. That was his second successive brace, his third brace of pre-season. Of course, got one against Durham, uh, one against Marseille and, uh, and obviously one now against Cambridge United. What impressed me probably about those two finishes were they probably weren't finishes that you would naturally associate with Jordan Hugel. I think people think thumping headers and kind of um, maybe not excellent, uh, not an excellent finisher. And that was certainly the, the image that he had at West Brom last year where he missed quite a few sort of guilt-edged opportunities. But these were really composed. The first one was, was an error and it's one of those kind of cliched strikes where he had a lot of time to think about it and just sat the keeper down and, and slotted it past him. And the second one, he almost sort of um, cuts inside the defender and, and puts it beneath the goalkeeper. They're two really accomplished finishers. And you look at his pre-season in a hole, he's, he's taking quite the claim for himself, particularly given maybe Adam Eder's fitness concerns. And obviously, I know Dean Smith described Josh Sargent as outstanding, but there's still maybe a little bit of doubt over his kind of goal return and, and what he offers from a goal-scoring perspective feels like Jordan Hugel has probably elevated himself up the pecking order. Is is that fair? Well, he's certainly put himself in the conversation now, which I don't think outside of the bubble anyway, you'd have necessarily said coming back from overall pretty disappointing loans at well, West Brom particularly, but the card have tailed off as well last season and would have been a stretch to think he would be this close to a, a Dean Smith 11 for Cardiff um, prior to what he's done in pre-season. So it is testament to him. I thought the most revealing thing, well, in terms of what he's said during pre-season was that post-match interview he gave but after the Marseille game on Saturday to the club and um, in it more or less said that it, it really, in the off-season, as, as abbreviated as it was, he'd really kept the metal uh, to the pedal and, and done it well, the pedal to the metal, to be honest, it is hot still, uh, I'll blame it on that. But uh, and, and really, you know, almost I took from that that he knew this, that he really needed to hit the ground running in pre-season. If he was going to convinced Dean Smith that, no, I want to be here, I want to be part of it, but I want to be a bigger part than maybe two, three seasons ago when he was essentially you know, the cheerleader in the dressing room uh, as Timu Puki continued to be the spearhead attacking-wise. To, to, to change that narrative, he, he really needed to impress in pre-season. And it, and it sounds like, in his own mind, he knew he had to really come back in good shape and almost ahead of a lot of these other players. And, you know, we're, we're, we're looking back now at... Uh, a pre-season where he's, he could could do no more, really. Every opportunity he's had, he's, he's looked fit and sharp and and scored the goals into the bargain as well. And, yeah, the the, the, the second goal for, for me at Cambridge as well, I, I don't recall seeing that too often from him in an Norwich shirt where he showed, showed almost that explosive element to his game to to, to put, a, put a defender off balance, cut inside and finish. You know, it's that's an element of his game I don't think I'd necessarily I would have associated with him. It's more the two Marseille goals where great balls into the box. He uses his aerial prowess and um, he's putting his nut on it. Uh, you know, if he's got those elements to his game as well, and that you could start to see that he looks a bit more comfortable than he has done previously in terms of general play and, and being a link player rather than just somebody who's on the end of things. Of course, that's a very useful attribute to have if you're Dean Smith in the squad. But, but that's, I felt, 
and have felt where Timu clearly has the edge that he's a far more rounded striker in terms of uh, his work outside the box. I'm not saying Jordan Hugel's suddenly going to transform himself into Timu Puki Mark II, but but if there was more evidence of what we're seeing in this preseason that you know his actual link play uh, as well as well as the goal threat that he offers, then absolutely no doubt about it. Jordan Hugel could be an asset. Um, for Norwich going forward into this championship campaign because there is, there is still those imponderables around Eda and Sargent um, in terms of their goal output. So, you know, there is a guy who who can score goals and, and is scoring goals. And uh, if you're Timu Puki as well, it might just be, well, A, it, it, it eases a bit of the burden and expectation on him if Jordan was to continue in this vein when the real stuff gets underway. But, but also as well, that competitive edge and we're seeing it at the top end of the pitch, we're seeing it goalkeeper-wise. You've probably seen it in defensive positions and midfield. You know, if you're Dean Smith and you're Shakespeare, they don't want every Saturday, every Tuesday to go with the same tried and trusted eleven because there aren't really any other viable options. They want, essentially, cutthroat competition because that will raise standards, that will drive performance levels, uh, and ultimately that should ensure Norwich are picking up plenty of wins and points as well. So, yeah... Difficult, difficult days ahead for Dean Smith in terms of selections moving into the Cardiff game, but uh, it's great to see because I don't think Norwich can afford again to have the over reliance they have done on Timu Puki in these last two championship seasons, setting aside the Premier League seasons. But you know he needs now seriously good backup assistance alternatives because I, I think. It's going to be too much of a stretch if, if Timu is expected to weigh in with another 25, 30 goals. I think the burden has to be shared. And and the way Jordan Hugel has started pre-season, he looks like he's in the mood that, you know, he can do that. But he clearly has to take it on from here. You know, it won't be enough now to plateau. He needs to kick on again. And, um, you know, he clearly also looks like he's enjoying it. He wants to be around the group. Uh, and and the confidence is there. You can see that. You know, goal scorers thrive on confidence and, score, and, and, and scoring goals. That's where they get you know, that belief from and, um, you know, it's, it is really intriguing now moving forward and it's probably a debate for next week once we get the other side of Scotland moving into Cardiff about is he really, has he actually got to the point where you could say you need to you need to find a place for him in that Cardiff 11? Probably not quite there yet because um, that's part of a wider debate but for now, you know, he's doing all he, he could do reasonably to, to convince Dean Smith that yeah, don't discount me for this season. No, it feels like when when you look at that Norwich City team at the moment, that there's probably one place that we could go, yep, he's nailed on to start for Cardiff. And that's that's probably Simu Puki, isn't it? We we don't really know which goalkeeper he's gonna favour at this stage. And maybe we'll 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 find out a bit more about that the other side of, of Scotland and, and the two respective games. The defence again, I, I think we probably know that Max Aarons will start on the right and you knew this will will start on the left probably don't know what the centre-back pairing will be. Midfield, we don't know. We don't even know who's going to be fit, to be completely honest, let alone who's going to play in that area of the pitch. And the wide areas as well are still up for grabs. So maybe beyond Puki and, and, and probably the full-backs as well, it still feels like there's a lot of pieces for Dean Smith to fit together. And if Jordan Hugill can, can at least get himself in and around it, in the conversation as he has done, the fact, obviously, that there are five subs to play with as well, I think will, will work in his favour because that gives... Norwich more options, more attacking options, particularly if they're chasing games. He obviously gives them something different. That was something actually that, that's, that Norwich legend Chris Sutton mentioned in in his column for for the Pink and App this week. Actually, that there was a lot of criticism around Norwich City that they only really had one route to to scoring goals last year. Um, 
And he offers certainly a different one in terms of his physicality, in terms of his aerial prowess as well. Of course, there are limitations and, and he is all too aware of that as well. But equally, you look at it and you think, would a lot of the championship teams like Jordan Hugill to spearhead their attack? A lot of them probably would. Um, a lot of them probably would. And that is a testament probably to the depth that Norwich City have in that position. And, and it probably weighs, it raises maybe even broader concerns for, for Josh Sargent exactly where he fits in. Although I thought he was pretty good as well at Cambridge last night as well. Um, just in terms of, of other honourable mentions, Liam Gibbs scored his his first Norwich City goal in pre-season, continues what, what has been again for him a pretty impressive pre-season. He's continuing to to look very good. I'm, I'm more impressed with him every time I watch him. It just really, really simplifies the game, Quite, plays with limited touches, but often capable of receiving the ball on the half, half turn and playing forwards, which is always a, a really good sign for, for a midfielder. He actually ended the game as a right back. His, his goal, probably a bit fortunate with his goal I, I thought Mitov probably should have saved it um but but he was he was pretty good um pad just quickly on on Liam Gibbs I mean he's another one that has probably got himself in the conversation would you expect him to be in the round it ahead of ahead of the championship season or, or do we probably still feel like a low move is is probably the right option for where he's at given the amount of Nor uh, midfielders that Norwich City have of course they've added to that with Gabriel Sara who we'll come back to later on yeah I mean I think you add Zara, you add hopefully in the not too distant future Isaac Hayden. That would, would to me suggest it's a lone route for him because quite clearly, and again, he amply demonstrated it at Cambridge, he's, he's way beyond development football now for him to go back to that level and play games at Colney in front of whoever. Uh, no, he's, he's, he's beyond that clearly now. And um, much like Clark's gone out early, he's out. I think they're keeping him in and around it because obviously there are those issues with Sarah and Hayden in terms of fitness. But also, every time he's on the pitch, he does, as you say, look very comfortable. He doesn't look like a young player stepping up and uh, a bit kind of uh, not quite sure what he should be doing. He he looks very mature, very accomplished. It's the old saying, isn't it? Good players have time on the ball or they always seem to have plenty of time on the ball. And that certainly is what I would say to him every time he's on the ball. He's very unflustered, very unflappable, uh, knows what he wants to do. Um, and he does. He, he just he knits it together. And, you know, I don't, don't want to get too carried away um, on these pre-season cameos, but is he discernibly different to what Lise Malou have offered or Sorensen have offered? Not not for me, really, uh, if I'm honest. Different types of players slightly in that centre center of the park, but with the right players in and around him and experience, I think uh, I think he, he could... He, could step in, but but I I I think it probably would be accelerating his development to, to suddenly start putting him in the conversation to start games in the championship. But you 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 could conceivably see Smith keeping him in and around the group, uh, and then if it transpired, we you know he doesn't get a lot of action between now and, and January. Then there's another window opens up. Then maybe you let him go out, but maybe it'll be very end of this summer window when, when they get some clarity on Zara and, and Hayden and Kenny McLean's obviously in the mix and Sorensen and Lise Malou. Um, and they, they allow him to go out. I'm absolutely sure there will be clubs around that football league who will be beating a path to, to want to take that guy on loan because, you know, the word will be out that, 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 that there is a very, um, very talented central midfielder uh, who, as I say, is is probably now at the stage where he needs to be playing regularly at a good level. And uh, and it's great to see as well, uh, particularly with his backstory as well. I'm sure that'll look at the Ipswich contingent no end that uh, one of their own is, you know, potentially going to be starring for Norwich in the not-too-distant future. But uh, we'll part that one for now. But, uh, 
yeah, he can do no more than when he's given opportunities, as he has done. Um, basically look like uh, he's very comfortable in a Norwich shirt around senior players. And he's certainly done that so far in pre-season, but it is pre-season. So, you know, again, all these all these assessments we're making, you, you do have to caveat it pretty heavily. But, um, you know, I think it's telling that the, the one opinion that does matter in all of this is Dean Smith. And uh, th- there's no sense of him allowing him to go out of the building anytime soon. And, and he was asked directly, actually, last night, just popped into my head. You know, is Liam Gibbs a first team option? And and he said, yeah. The, the way he continue, the way he's continuing, the way he's he's appeared every time he's got an opportunity in pre season, he is he is not. Here's a young lad we're bringing along for the ride, and at a, at a suitable juncture we'll send him out on loan. No, Liam Gibbs is a, a viable for Dean Smith clearly at this stage midfield option for Norwich City. And um, you know, if that continues, then uh, then maybe he will keep him in the building, and and he will get a bit of championship exposure. But uh, let's be honest, um, it's an area of the squad that has been chronically uh, underrepresented uh, since probably Oli Skip departed. Uh, and if you take Oli Skip out of the equation, given he was a Tottenham player for, for probably seasons prior to, you know, if Norwich could develop their own in that area of the pitch, modern style midfielder who's comfortable in possession, but has that degree of athleticism as well, I know they say strikers are worth their weight in gold, but but the way Norwich have, have struggled in that area of the pitch, you know, if they could uh, they could uh, just finish his development and he could be a, a real strong presence in a central midfield for Norwich moving forward, then that's that's really something to look forward to. Yes, it is. Honourable mention as well for Michael McGovern. Six years to the day yesterday that he signed for Norwich City. Pulled off some unbelievable saves, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, there was one in the second half in particular from close range. How he got himself to that, I, I do not know. But um, kept Norwich in the game, actually, and, uh, and made sure that they were able to, to turn it around and go on to win it. Um, for, from from the Abbey to, to the south of France, Pad, uh, it, was, it was Marseille on Saturday. This one probably was a bit more eye-catching because this was a victory and a good victory, a 3-0 win over a team who uh, finished were, were runners-up in, in Ligue 1 last year. I think they finished about 15, 16 points behind PSG in the end. But will we playing Champions League football? Dimitri Payet, Matteo Guendouzi, household names within their starting lineup as well. It, it wasn't a, a weak or, or a weakened Marseille team. I think there was Milik missing, who's a striker, and, and a couple of others um, around the edges. But this was a, a really strong Marseille team. And Norwich went there had to roll with the punches a little bit in, in maybe the opening 20 minutes, but thereafter looked a real threat. It was a really impressive, um, probably all-rounded performance that probably left a lot of people feeling a hell of a lot more encouraged about Norwich City and Norwich City under Dean Smith than perhaps they were following that Kings Lynn game last week. Yeah, I don't think, I don't even think if you if you got him in a quiet moment, Dean Smith would have expected him to go to Marseille, uh, south of France, and come away with a 3-0 and the manner of the performance as well. Um Really was an eye opener. I think there's some caveats we need to insert without wanting to, you know, pour cold water on it. But you know, that was Marseille's second outing of preseason. They'd only, I think, they had a game midweek going into that game. So relatively, they're they're at a different stage of preseason, and you kind of saw that to a degree when Norwich played the Bundesliga two team Regensburg out in Germany, who were much further advanced. And obviously, Norwich drew that game, but. They were a little bit off the pace fitness-wise and, and, and sort of uh, getting around the pitch. I felt there was an element of that in the Marseille performance. But let's not take anything away from, from how Norwich set about it. And and the other caveat, because I think it is relevant, and myself and Sam got into it on, on the Pinkman Plus Q&A on Monday, you know, it was very much, um, for me, a, a performance founded on counter-attacking team, uh, uh, you know, to... to 
basically not have huge amounts of possession, but but were able to break with speed and purpose and intent. And you saw that in the nature of the goals they scored, finished off by Hugo. Um, you know, even Sorensen's unbelievable finish, that was really a Norwich swift counter that they moved through the lines and then released Rashica and then the ball came back and Sorensen's opened up his body and whipped a, a superb finish. But, you know, it was very much an afternoon where, you know, Marseille were, were trying to dictate things and, and Norwich were out of possession. Excellent. As good as probably we've seen under Dean Smith, I think, since he arrived. You know, that cohesiveness, the pressing, both individually and collectively, there was a pretty in, in, innocuous throw-in for Marseille late on in the second half. But what caught my eye was that Pookie was, it was almost like they were in their set positions. We know that they've brought in this Alan Russell and the, the emphasis now is on set pieces and restarts. But even a defensive throw, you know, there was Pookie pointing to where Hugo needed to be. And, and it was that you could see that there was a structure to it and a method to what they were trying to do. And something as, as I say, inconsequential, you would seem as a, 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 a defensive throw to defend. Um, but it just, it to me, it, it sort of signified or, or signalled you know, the work that's gone in on the training round, you started to see it for the first time. But, you know, in a in a type of game where they didn't have as much of the ball as the opponent and they were counter-attacking teams, now we flip that and they go into the championship this season. Is that going to happen too often where they're basically going to concede possession and, and, and draw teams on and then hit them on the break? Maybe one or two opponents, but the vast majority, particularly at Car Road, it'll be low blocks defensively and can you break us down? So that's my only caveat in terms of the performance as good as it was is that the type of challenge they will face routinely in the championship I think the answer is no so but you know and and that's why it was a little bit more concerning the first half at Cambridge because they did face um, a team who were well organized and well structured and they did struggle to break them down but you, you know in the second half they, they they did find those pockets and they had players like Campwell who were very creative and, and could find those spaces and good movement from the likes of Pookie and Rashica. So, you know, we will see. They've got the good enough players, I think, to handle that challenge on a weekly basis. But, you know, I wouldn't place, I wouldn't look at Marseille as the template in terms of the approach that Norwich will adopt or can adopt in the championship, because I think the onus most often in the championship will be on them to force the pace uh, and them to have lots of the ball, lots of territory, and then being good enough to, in a very... Uh, well marshaled sort of defensive structure they're going to face. Can they find uh, the lock, the, the key to unlock the door more often than not? So, but you know, that's for another day. The, the reality was they did play a, a team who are going to be in the Champions League with very, very well known players, um, and uh, and they were they were more than merited to, to walk off the pitch there, having won that game three 0 So you know, you can only deal with the challenge in front of you, and on that day. Norwich was superior in every facet. And, and it was great to see because, you know, you're right, Connor, to, to go back to what we discussed at the outset, you know, post-Kings Lynn, there was a there was a sense that, you know, we haven't quite seen what, what Dean Smith's trying to do with this group in pre-season. You know, um, where's where's the where's the template in terms of on the ball, off the ball? Where's the style? Where's the structure? We wasn't saying that after the Marseille game. So, so in that regard, massive leap forward. Yeah, completely. And it feels to me like that was a game for Dean Smith to put some of the elements that he wants to see from this No City side into practice. I mean, you, you kind of mentioned the counter-attacking. It does feel like he wants counter-attacking situations at times, even if they're not counter-attacks. Um, and also, I thought the, the counter-pressing again element, which is something that he's repeated throughout pre-season that he wants to see improved, that was at play as well. And 
probably the best way to improve your pressing is by playing teams who dominate possession. So I guess there's probably a little bit of of common sense behind that. That will also probably be a factor when they when they go to Celtic, who are another team who are a bit gun ho, um, play inverted fullbacks, like to dominate possession. It's a completely different test to probably anything they'll face in in the championship. Um, I, I not being disrespectful to Rotherham, but I can't imagine them going to the New York Stadium and, and facing inverted fullbacks. So it's 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 a different challenge designed to test different elements, I think, of what they're trying to do. And then hopefully they'll emerge and all of those pieces will slot together, if not at Cardiff, then hopefully soon after. So it, it, it's all very interesting how it's panning out and, and we'll discuss Scotland right at the end of the show. Um, let's hear from from Dean Smith. Here's what he had to say after a very, very hot night in uh, in Cambridge. I think it was actually hotter at kickoff at the Abbey than it probably was in Foz St. Mer when they kicked off against Marseille on Saturday. Here's what Norwich City's boss had to say. Bizarre circumstances today with all the heat. I mean, it's, it's a sort of balmy 30 degrees now, but have you ever had anything like that in, in, a, in a football match before? No, it's been it's been a weird few days to be honest. I mean, uh, we played in Marseille on Saturday. We're due to fly back Saturday night, and you know the plane got grounded, so we ended up not getting back till two o'clock on Sunday, and, and and that was about the same conditions as it was here. And then, obviously, trained early, um, you know, to to try and get out as, as much of the heat as you can. Um, but to hear a referee at the start saying we're going to have a drinks break every 15 minutes just tells you uh, the conditions that we're playing in at the moment. Did you have to do anything special with the lads or you, you obviously had the heat in Marseille or was it just as you were? We, no, we were due to, to be in this morning but I didn't feel that it was uh, you know, um, it was right to get them in this morning. It was too hot. Um, so we just reported for a pre-match and then came to the game today. And you know, uh, we spoke to to Cambridge last night and got the game cut back another 15 minutes. And fortunately, it looked like a, a cloud just covered up the sun a little bit, and it did drop just before you know uh, the, the game started. Yeah, and the, the first half really competitive. I mean, it was a noisy crowd here. It felt a little bit like a derby in in a, in a way because they're just up the road. And you must have been pleased with that. They're probably the most competitive test so far. Uh, no, I thought Marseille was a lot competitive, uh, very competitive. Um, but I think you saw two sides of us today. I thought it was average City in the first half and Norwich City in the second. Um, you know, we I thought we used probably the heat as a bit of an excuse, and our application wasn't where it needed to be. We lost out to most uh, first balls and second balls, and that's not what we've been in the um, in pre-season. And to be fair, the lads. Uh, you know, said that themselves uh, after the game um, at half time in the dressing room. So they knew that the application should have been better. Um, we know it was trying conditions and we know it's Adam's first 45 minutes for us. It's the first time we played 4 4 2, but we, we keep saying, you know, excuses are well planned lies and we, we won't be using them. So, um, you know, we weren't good enough in the first half and deservedly went in behind. But really pleased, you know, with the. The second half, the application, the subs who came on. I thought Liam Gibbs did really well when he came on. I thought Sarge was outstanding. Um, you know, so uh, you know, yeah, a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde performance, but you get that during pre-season, and uh, you know, especially with all the changes that we're having. And Jordan Hugill, second half, I mean, that's four and two from him. I mean, he's he's in some form, isn't he? He's he's he's, uh, he's getting the goals, which is what you want from your number nine. Certainly do, and um, you know, he's made an impact in the the last couple of games to get them goals as well. 
Um, you know, uh, really good finish the first and the second. You know, he's cut back onto his right foot and scored. Um, you know, we probably could have scored, you know, two or three more in the in the second half, but they probably could have scored one or two more in the first half. So, um, but yeah, I'm really pleased with with the impact that you know the likes of Jordan have made and Al have made. You know, uh, Sam since coming back from their their loan spells last season. I was going to say, you know, much has been made about you've only brought a couple of players in, your players, if you like, but you have got a lot coming in, including Danal Sonani and various other ones. So it's nice to have that that kind of fresh impetus into the squad yeah I think I said at the end of last season um, you know them four coming back into training the last week just freshened you know the whole the whole uh, training ground up and um, that's continued you know uh, through pre-season um, you know like having the likes of Isaac in the in the dressing room and now Gabrielle as well um, you know it's he, he, brightened things up and just talk to us about Gabriel Sarah. He's obviously, uh, you know, this is the first time I've had a chance to, to, to say, why did you want to sign him? Why was he so important to bring in? Um, he's a top player. I, I think he's got a lot of development in him as well. Um, he brings a lot of energy into the team. Uh, he's, he's skillful. He can see a pass. Um, his running stats are crazy. Um, you know, and he just wants to get better as well. Technically, he's, he's a gifted player. Um, you know, and these South American boys are... are uh, a tough look, tough cookies as well, and uh, you know he's another one who will come into the to the team and will give everything. A couple of possible outgoings. We, we saw reports today of Christoph Zimmermann in Germany, perhaps going back to Germany. A- any comment on that? Is, is, is there truth in that? Yeah, we've, we've had a club that's um, you know asked a question about Zimbo, and we've um, given him the opportunity to make a decision. Um, I think everybody knows how much Zimbo means to this football club and how much this football club means to him. He's uh, his character shines through and he probably hasn't had as much football as he would have liked in the last 18 months um, so it would have been wrong of us as a club to not give him this opportunity that's turned up for him and uh, he's got a tough decision to make now but if he chooses to go then he goes with everybody's best wishes at this football club because I think um, he showed as a player and a person you know the sort of characters that we want at this football club and just come is that Darmstadt in, in Bundesliga 2 or you... oh, I can't say at the moment that's fine and just on uh, Christoph Scholles he wasn't involved tonight reports coming out from Greece saying that perhaps he's on the move as well any comment on Scholles' future yeah there's a, a few clubs who've been asking whether they could take him on loan um, so it's a possibility that he could go out on loan um, he's a player who has got lots of potential unfortunately he didn't play an awful lot of minutes last season um, but we still believe you know, there's potential to come out of him that that we can't give him as much game time as he probably needs this season. So, uh, you know, in, in the long run for, for him and the football club, we think it's better that he goes out alone and, and goes and further develops and comes back full of confidence uh, after that. And just finally for me, obviously two more games, Celtic and Hibernian, that'll be a, a tasty one up there in Scotland. And, and then it's all lead, all roads lead to, to Cardiff. How, how are you feeling in this it's last week? It, lots of goals going in, which is, which is important. Yeah, no... Uh, the application of the players throughout training, throughout pre-season has been, for second to none, they've been excellent. Uh, their attitudes, their, the way they've gone about it, um, as I've said, last season's gone. It's a, a new be, new beginning for them. And, um, you know, I thought Todd came on today and he looks a different player at the moment. And, um, you know, I've told him that as well. And, you know, it's not only Todd, the, the players who were involved last season have put that behind them very quickly and we're looking forward to the start now. And you must be really happy with Todd because he, he really looked like he could be involved tonight and that's that's good for Norwich City Football Club. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, Danell as well, um, you know, he's been really, really good on the training ground. He's, he was good on Saturday against Marseille. Um, you know, hopefully we've got I've got some real tough decisions to make next Saturday, which is what I want. Thanks, Dean. Cheers, thank you.
just a couple from me, if I may. I, I mean, I obviously hate guessing, but I'm assuming you've got two games coming up and two uh, goalkeepers you can get 90 minutes. So you had Michael out tonight to get 90 minutes in. I mean, the, the saves he pulled off tonight was something else. Yeah, he made some really good saves. He made a really good save um, in the game against in, in Germany as well from a from a free kick. Um, but you know, goalkeepers need to play 90 minutes. Giving them 45 minutes at times, they they don't get their concentration tested, and that's you know probably the key for for goalkeepers. So, you know, my idea was to give them all 90 minutes over the next three games. And, and Michael's obviously a, you know he's shown what he gives in terms of the group, and I'm guessing he's quite important to that goalkeeping group as well. He's very important to the dressing room as a whole. Um, so it was important. I read somewhere today, or somebody mentioned it in the dressing room that he's six years ago today. I think he signed for the club, um, but he's an important part of the dressing room and. and especially the, the goalkeeper school. Uh, has Jonathan Tomkinson's emergence uh, helped al- allow you to consider Christoph Zimmerman leaving? Yes and no. Um, yes, because his, his emergence has you know, allowed us to give Zimbo the opportunity, but we felt we needed to anyway because of the person that, that Zimbo is. Yeah, Cheers. No firearm, no... Uh... Gibson, sorry, yeah, no, they've both got slight strains, so the, there was no risk, and we probably probably won't risk them the weekend as well if they're they're still um, similar. Any concern? Obviously, with Salmon, his sort of backstory there the last two years or so. That I mean, that's three friendlies he's not been available, or you just got to manage him very. Gently. No, we, we just have to manage him. Um, you know, there's nobody more disappointed than Sam. Um, you know, but he just felt something so. You know, I've always said to all the players before the game, if you feel anything, let us know. You know, uh, there's no medals for these games. It's it's for the you know the one to forty six games. So the players who have come back, Adamida, first time tonight. I know he played on the development side Friday, but you must be delighted because you showed just before he got that knee injury that you really believe he can start games and influence games tonight. Yeah, I thought he looked really strong as well um, today. He's, he's he's done some work in the gym. He's worked really hard in his rehab to get back. Um, you know, and he can be a handful for us this season. But all four of the forwards at the moment, um, you know, are, are doing well and, and working hard. We know what Timo Puki can do. Um, Sarge, I think. I've, I think it's been outstanding in the two couple of 45s that he's had so far because he's coming back from his injury as well and Jordan's been scoring goals and you know as you say Adam Eder it's great to have him back as well just one on Saro and we saw some footage and he looked like he wasn't too far away of it. but where is he in sort of your head in terms of timeline and Cardiff so I'm hoping that he'll be on the training ground with us um, on Monday um, so after the the Saturday Sunday games, hoping he'll be on the training ground with us that on the Monday. Um, whether the Cardiff came to, uh, game comes too soon, I don't know, um, but we'll have a good look at him first. Final one, Scotland. Celtic speaks with himself. Hibbs as well, two top five Scottish sides. What do you want out of those two, three last two games, please? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've still got a the hardest part for me is balancing teams during pre-season um, but I like to have the last two games um, you know back to back so we can get 90 minutes into all the players um, but I've got to find the right balance to to go and be really competitive in in two what are tasty really tasty games it'll be a, you know great for some players going going to Parkhead for the first time in, in front of a lot of fans it's a great stadium and um, it'll be a good atmosphere and, and then Easter Road on the Sunday as well so you know uh, I want to see more of of what we did in the second half today and um, less of what we did in the first. Yeah, yeah. As you say, average night. Without, obviously, you're not going to divulge, but in your own head now, how close are you to sort of knowing you're 11 for Cardiff? Or is there still plenty of places to play? No, there's places to play for still, but, you know, uh, obviously, all the games I'm taking in, you know, there's a team shaping in my mind. We live Norwich City. The build-up. The passion. The drama. 
the last minute winners. The debate. That's why we've created Pink and Plus. The app that takes you beyond the headlines. With exclusive columns, blogs, podcasts and videos, we've got you covered. Subscribe today. Pink and Plus. Stay ahead of the game. Download now on the App Store and on Google Play. So that was uh, Dean Smith after Tuesday night's game against Cambridge, a 3-1 win for Norwich City to continue their unbeaten uh, pre-season preparations. Um, Pat, if we if we go to off-the-pitch stuff, there was probably two noticeable absentees, um, in particular for, for Norwich City, probably for, for transfer-related reasons. If we start with, with Christos Solis, he's someone who I think as early as the end of May, we, we were reporting interest from, from Club Bruges. Um, I think we we had another piece um, uh, last week, maybe the week before that, saying that, that it was probably edging a little bit closer. It feels like we're nearly there now for, for Christos Solis and it does sound like it's going to be a low move away. Um, uh, Dean Smith said a few clubs interested, so not absolutely nailed on to be Club Bruges at, at this moment in time. I think probably more will come clear over the coming days and, and weeks. But if he's got to a stage where he's not involved in Norwich City squad, we're probably looking at it being days away, aren't we? Crystal Solis completing his, his loan exit away from Norwich City. Looks that way, Connor. Yeah, uh, particularly if there's multiple options there in, 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 in the wind. Uh, there was interest. There was one or two clubs in Holland, I think, linked with him as well, as I recall, earlier in summer. I mean, pretty much from the end of last season, we, we've said, I think Zolis uh, won't be part of it. Um, and then it's just the path to how you get to that point. Very intriguing that Dean Smith was, was at pains to talk in terms of alone uh, as opposed to a permanent exit you know is that a signal possibly they can't recoup the money they they would have spent this time last summer for the guy possibly given you know what he didn't do in the intervening period um will will there be buy options attached as there were with Cantwell when he went to, to Bournemouth on loan last January um, that will become clear in due course yeah look we're recording this on sort of just just past midday on, on Wednesday and, and the Belgian media today are, are pretty clear that Bruges have had another attempt to sign him it's worth just pointing out that when Norwich got him, he was he was very much on Bruges' radar. I think they looked at him in, in the January window of 2021. Didn't happen for whatever reason. Um, and then Norwich, you know, stepped in going into the Premier League last season. Um, but if there is a long-held interest, I believe, I think we, we, we were discussing last night at Cambridge, they, they had a, a player who's moved on now to Milan, is it, for a considerable amount of, of money. So there is finance available if they're looking at it that way. So... Maybe the details yet to emerge, but but what is irrefutable is Christos Zolis is not part of Dean Smith's plans for this season. Um, whether he, he is part of his plans moving forward, I have my doubts because I look at it and Dean Smith came in last November. We're now in July. That's a that's a long body of time, both in terms of the season and in the off-season, for Dean Smith to make up his mind. And, and who was he playing towards the back end of the Premier League season? Jonathan, Tom, Jonathan Rowe, sorry. And, uh, and Tony Springett in those wide positions, not Christos Zolis. So that tells me probably Dean Smith has, has maybe decided he's not he's not for him. Um, but as I say, you know, if it is a loan, then there's always that window of opportunity. He goes away, dare I say it, a Danel Sanani-style impact to, to the one he had at Huddersfield last, last season. Uh, and you never know, there may still be a future for Christos Zolis at, at Norwich. But it's looking increasingly like that isn't the case. And this is maybe the first stage um, in the exit strategy. And, you know, ultimately, it hasn't worked, clearly. And, and for that, 
that there's probably all parties need to look at why it hasn't worked. Um, but from the outside, you know, uh, maybe I think he was it was too soon for him in terms of the Premier League, certainly, because uh, when he was exposed to, to the Premier League, albeit relatively small samples, he did look a long way off it. So, um, again, uh, without wanting to reopen the debate about their recruitment going into last summer and the, pre-season, uh, the Premier League season, uh, it clearly it wasn't a deal that uh, that had the desired effect. And um, now it's probably just managing that situation to the benefit of all parties, really. If you're Zollis, certainly makes no sense to be sat here, you know, watching 7,000 other wide players ahead of you in the pecking order at Car Road this season. You need to be out at his age, particularly. He needs to be out because he's still learning the game. You know, it's worth reiterating. He played really relatively little football in his professional career when he arrived at Car Road. He's still a work in progress, very much so. He's not the finished article. Um, and as a result, he needs to go out and, and, and get game time. And um, and maybe on that front, that's a segue into Christoph Zimmerman's situation as well. Yeah, just uh, just to sort of round off on, on Cholis, uh, Charles de Ketelea, I've probably butchered that pronunciation, is the, is the young midfielder at Club Bruges who uh, hasn't yet signed for AC Milan, but that is uh, seemingly edging ever, ever closer reports today that their uh, sporting director, technical director, Paolo Maldini, uh, no less, is uh, is in Belgium to try and get that move through. So so that would free up some funds. We know that um, there has been discussions of a potential permanent option inserted in a loan. Whether that is what comes to pass when a deal is completed, we'll have to see. But it maybe feels like possibly Jolis arriving would allow Charles de Ketelaire to, to, to then leave from a Club Bruges perspective. So, so that would all add up. Feyenoord or another club who um, were, were reportedly interested earlier on in the summer. So a few options there, but um, we understand that Jolis was was pretty keen to to move to Belgium. So we'll see how that how that all transpires. And then, yeah, as, as you mentioned, Paddy, Christoph Zimmerman, which is uh, has, has a bit of an end of the, uh, an era feel about it, doesn't it really? I mean, it's probably if we're if we're being completely candid about it, feels like it's been on the cards probably ever since Daniel Farker left the club, really. And when I spoke to, to Christoph Zimmerman, would have been towards the back end of last season, maybe even start of the summer. Um, he was giving a, a lecture at the UEA uh, about his career and his pathway, which was um, a really interesting environment to witness a footballer existing in and being in. Um, but it was, it was a very good talk. I was there for, for probably the second half of it um, before we sat down and spoke. He, he was he was pretty honest and, and said to me even then, that if you look at how many minutes he played across last season, that wasn't sufficient. That wasn't what he would want. And obviously injury has, has played a part in that. But also um, he, he's just been out of favour since Dean Smith arrived, hasn't played the the amount of football that, that he would like. Um, Norwich City's last German player at the club currently. I know people will look at Onel Hernandez, but he's a Cuban international. So we have to refer to him as, as, as Cuban. He was one of the first ones, maybe the first potentially German player to, to arrive at the club does feel end of era, but someone who probably will be remembered really fondly. I'm not sure if I quite put him in the legend category, but he's certainly knocking on the door for that because of his contribution, certainly on the pitch, but also probably the human being that he is as well. And that connection that he had with fans, it was a regular occurrence that after a game, you would see him literally head to all four corners of the ground to salute all the fans, win, lose or draw. I mean, it's he was quite unique as a, as a character at Norwich City, let alone as a footballer. Yeah, I mean, I have seen that is a very interesting dynamic. I've seen that legendary status around him, sort of debated both sides of it on social media in the last sort of twenty four, forty eight hours. And you know, you can you can take take your measure where, where you want to take it. But I thought there was a good point made in that debate that you know a legend for for some people is 
giving absolutely everything to the extent of their abilities. You know, he, you know, he, as he had the impact of a Buendia in terms of, uh, you know, the, the dragging a team up and and putting them onto a different level, or Madison even in that sort of season where rest of it was pretty much dross, but his performances individually, maybe not, maybe not. I mean, there was that for me. I always go back to the second part of the eighteen nineteen title winning season when he was kind of thrust together with a young Ben Godfrey, mainly through injuries to Closer and Hanley, who probably would have been Parker's first choice. And those two, with Zimmerman wearing the armband, it's worth to say, they anchored that that run into that memorable, unexpected, joyous Premier League promotion. And for that, you know, you, you can't dispute that he played a full part. And uh, But ultimately, Dean Smith, uh, when he talked about this after the game at Cambridge, you referenced it as well. Clearly, they've had conversations and it's ran along the lines of Zimmerman over the last 18 months hasn't played enough football to, to the level that he wants to be playing. He's 29 now. He got into the professional ranks pretty late. You know, he's one of those who was umming and ah in, in German regional football, whether he went sort of, I think, the teaching route he discussed and maybe he will return to that one day. So particularly if you've come to the game late, the professional game, you want to maximise every opportunity you can get to, to spend time on the pitch, you know, and... Uh, Last season, five appearances, only two starts in the Premier League. Nowhere near enough, really. And if he is fit and healthy, because that is obviously the, the issues that have dogged him, really, um, in the recent seasons at Norwich. But if he is now fit and healthy and his body stands the strain, then why wouldn't he want to go and explore an opportunity, particularly as well, you know, if it is Darmstadt, you know, that's local to where he's from in Germany and his family. So there will be those ties, I'm sure, as well, bringing him back to, to his home and... Uh, you know, maybe he's now already thinking about. You talked about a talk he did at the UEA. I'm sure, in the in the sort of character that he is, he's probably already thinking about the life after football and transitioning. And this might be part of that journey, really, um, to go back with a young family and, and settle back in Germany again and, and enjoy whatever's left of his football career. So, as Dean Smith said, there has been an approach. He now the ball's firmly in his court. He has a decision to make. If he goes, he'll go with the full blessings of everybody inside the club and I'm sure every Norwich fan as well because for what he he came to the club as, you know, he was a free transfer, wasn't he? I think off the top of my head. I think he was yeah. a free transfer, wasn't he? You know, a, a, a defender in Dortmund's second team essentially um, and you look back at what he's given on and off the pitch. You know, I remember, you know, during the height of the pandemic and, you know, he was out there delivering parcels and checking on, you know, vulnerable people in the community as part of the CSFs, the Community Sports Foundation's work. You know, that that wasn't for show. He, you know, he would often be at events at Carrow Park, um, inclusion events, disability events. You know, he is a really special human being. And, um, you know, he, he has left a mark and he will leave a mark both on the pitch and off the pitch. And, uh, you know, I think you'd only echo what Dean Smith said. If he goes, he will go with the best wishes of every person who's who's been privileged to be part of his journey at Norwich. Yeah, it was it was really interesting because at, at that talk, he told the story of how his move to Norwich came about. And obviously, Daniel Farker played a, a really key role in that. But he was, a, a, you know, as we know, a fourth tier German player. Uh, he was he was pretty short on options. If, if he was being honest with himself, he was pretty much ready and, and had agreed to sign or, or was about to sign for a Danish second division club. Um, when late one night, a text came through from Daniel Farker asking about his availability and whether he'd fancy moving to Norwich and he had to let down that Danish that Danish second-tier club to move to Norwich. I mean, from the position he was in as a fourth-tier German player playing for Borussia Dortmund's second team 
to becoming a Premier League football and if uh, footballer. And if we're honest, it was probably that tackle against Sebastian Allaire. And since then, probably hasn't looked the same player, if we're being completely honest. And, and has had a few more um, injuries than he would like. I remember at the start of his Norwich career, he, he was... Um, Almost felt like he was indestructible at times. He played so many games, um, particularly in that in those in that first and second year under Daniel Farker, um, and probably a player who will be associated with him. And, and he admitted even in his talk that he'd like to work with Daniel Farker again, um, but caveated that by saying that he didn't really think his kind of future career would be in football coaching or, or football management because it's so short term and because there's a lot of um, well, there's a lot of, uh, of hassle that comes with that. You, you're constantly being uprooted. There's no long-termism in the game and it feels like sort of managers' tenures are decreasing rather than increasing with with time. He wants to be settled. I think he's, he spoke about potentially maybe exploring an opportunity that was football and education related, maybe not necessarily teaching, but maybe some of these footballing kind of pathways, similar, I guess, to, to maybe what Alex Tetty is trying to do at Rosenberg. I, I would imagine that would appeal to him, but no doubt he's someone that, that Norwich City fans will wish well um, and someone who... As a footballer, I, I found really fascinating to speak to because he was um, he was always wasn't quite media trained a lot of the time. You, you'd always get a straight answer from him. He was really honest. Uh, I think when you spoke to him, uh, and and yeah, just a, a really good guy. So so Zimmerman, we'll, we'll leave with everyone's best wishes. I'm sure, um, Paddy. If we if we finish off then by by speaking about Gabriel Sara, we spoke about him on last week's pod where we pretty much said he would sign. He has signed a permanent deal, uh, an initial around initial six million. We're led to believe with with add-ons that could potentially take that to being a, a club record deal. Although there, I think there's some some dispute um, from the club side or whether that's actually the case or not. Um, but that's certainly the, the reported figures. Brazilian midfielder, first Brazilian to play for Norwich City. Um, he, he's obviously the club have released kind of a first day video where we, we saw his first day uh, and he was kind of put through his paces in, in the gym and signing the contract and all of that. But there's some really encouraging shots of him on the training pitch, completing kind of these various physical activities, nothing with a sort of a ball at his feet. But uh, I think there was even, I, I watched it this morning, there was even a, a clip from from Norwich City's head of medical, Chris Burton, where he said 10 weeks post-op, he's in a really good, really good position. Um, and he, you, you put that question to Dean Smith last night, as, as listeners would have heard earlier on, and, and he kind of said about how he's hoping to get him back in training for Monday. When do you feel in terms of timeline is realistic to not, expect him to, to obviously play for Norwich City, but probably to expect him to be become a regular fixture in this Norwich City side. Everyone heard Dean Smith's appraisal in, in, in that chat earlier in the podcast. He rates him very highly. He's clearly driven this signing. When can we expect him from a fitness perspective, do you feel, to actually be fully embedded in that Norwich City team? Well, we were discussing this prior to recording the pod. And um, I think if you roll it on logically, he's back in full team training from next Monday. That's the week leading into Cardiff. Very unlikely you, you would see him having any role to play. I mean, as we've just mapped out there, essentially his pre-season starts next Monday because he's not been able to train. He's obviously done his rehab, but it's, it's a different level of training completely. Um, so Cardiff, no. Following week, another week's training. Wigan, no for me. But then I think the following midweek, um, they've got Birmingham at home, haven't they, in the League Cup. I think it's August the 9th off the top of my head. Um, which is, as we record here, you're getting on for kind of two to three weeks uh, from here. So that, I think, would, would seem logical. You know, it isn't the, the the mocking nettles of championship combat with points at stake. Yes, they'll want to progress, but far more importantly for the season ahead, if you could get Gabriel Zara to get some game time in that game and he, and he looks the part and he comes through it and there's no qualms about his fitness element, but also the football inside of it, 
then from there on, for me, he's a viable option. I must confess, it's escaped my attention who they've got after immediately after Blues in the League Cup in terms of their next championship game. But but it'll be that following weekend. And and that, for me, subject to that timeline, it, it, surely he's ready to go. If he's if he's proven his fitness and you've got him out on the park and um, you know showing a few little bits and pieces of what he can do with a, with a ball at his feet, then uh, you know let's not hold him back. Because as Dean Smith rightly, we played that clip, uh, eulogising about the guy. You know, he he rave he rates this guy highly. What did he say? His running numbers are ridiculous, and his ability with the ball. He's got that toughness you associate with the Brazilian footballers. You know, he's he's worked with players like Douglas Luiz and and um, uh, Wesley. Is it at West West at Villa? So he understands the, the type of player he's dealing with. And um, you know, Dean Smith, I don't think is given to hyperbole or being overly effusive from my dealings with him so far. But when he speaks about Gabriel Zara, you can almost sense tangibly the excitement he has at working with a player who they feel still still so much potential, but it already looks like he could have a major impact on Norwich's season. But a player who could, moving forward, mould him into you know a really, really good talent and, and a key man for Norwich, certainly in the next two or three seasons. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you would you share that assessment, Connor Birmingham League Cup, maybe? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I've got the fixtures up in in front of me, and actually, thereafter August is is pretty packed. Um, obviously, because of the the, the change in Championship schedule because of the World Cup, um, it, it does look a bit more condensed. So, so you look you look after Birmingham. They've they've actually got um, uh, what five Championship games, I think, um, and uh, until the end of August. And uh, I think you probably slot another round of the FL Cup between. Uh, the home game against Millwall and their away game uh, to Sunderland, obviously on the Saturday, there's there's a, a free midweek in there that feels like that would probably be the second round of the competition. If I was to hazard a guess, I could probably find out. But um, yeah, you, you look at it then, that's what, two and a half weeks from here, that gives him sufficient time. Could I see him being included in, in the squads for Cardiff and uh, and, uh, and Wigan? Absolutely. Wouldn't surprise me actually if they if they maybe waited and, and gave him a Carrow Road debut um, against Wigan um uh, on the 6th of August and then of course you've you've got you could he could make his first start against Birmingham then they travel to Hull then it's Huddersfield Millwall probably the second round of the EFL Cup which hopefully maybe even we'll, we'll possibly get to see Isaac Hayden in that one before they then go to Sunderland and Birmingham um to to kind of round off August so there's plenty of games there you'd imagine hopefully by the end of August he'll be fully in a rhythm and maybe even if he's not starting all of those games he will start maybe um, a fair few of them and we'll be able to fully assess what sort of player he is because I think there's still some kind of intrigue and uh, and also confusion as well at maybe what he's going to be like you speak to different people and some maybe feel he's, he's going to be the best in the championship and others feel that actually he was probably a little bit better when he played on the wing and he's probably still got a lot of development left in him and actually I think Dean Smith said that last night didn't he so there's plenty of intrigue around him it probably feels like he's going to be next to Kenny McLean in that kind of double eight in a in a four three three as as we kind of outlined last week, but um, that is kind of the timeline I would put. I mean, just while we're on injuries as well, there's a, a couple of other updates. I mean, tell us a little bit about Sam Byram and Ben Gibson, both of whom were missing. But obviously, Sam Byram's history probably makes that injury feel a little bit more concerning than than perhaps Ben Gibson's at this moment in time. True, but then Dean Smith did also in that answer say probably not going to see him in Scotland either. So. That that does raise the concern level. If essentially, um, given that's the final leg of pre-season, you're going into the Cardiff game and you've not had Gibson at your disposal for the last 
three friendlies and, and Byron, well, at that stage, that would be getting off a five, I think he's missed. And and then you overlay, there's a player who, you know, nearly two years out of the game and, and came back last season and got injured at, I think it was Tottenham on the final day, didn't I? I think he limped out there and uh, I think he locked his, let's say, hip or something like that off the top of my head is what Dean Smith said. But on these two, he, he coupled them together, Dean Smith, and he just said strain. So that sounds like a muscular type injury, maybe, maybe a reflection of the, you know the work they've put in hard pitches as well pre-season um is a is a grind gibson has had his injury issues along the way nothing mega mega serious but you know he has had periods out since he's arrived at norwich is there an element of managing players you just touched on it in your previous thoughts there connor that you know there is very little respite once the season begins and you don't really want to be going in with players who are carrying injuries or susceptible to, to breaking down so maybe erring on the side of the caution at the minute but Purely on the Byram element, Gibson for me less less of a concern for Cardiff because you've obviously got you know barring any injuries between now and then you've got Hanley, you've got Obama Daly. I'd be very content if that was the centre back duo going into the Cardiff game. Byram, well of course Max Aaron's is still in the building and there's no seemingly sign that uh, he will be exiting the building anytime soon uh, in this part of the transfer window. So so again there wouldn't be a concern in terms of Max Aaron's would be ready to go for Cardiff, but. More broadly, you know, Sam Byram, you, you don't really want that sense that at the back of your mind, if you're Dean Smith, is the injury issues with him. Because footballing-wise, I don't think there's any debate. Dean Smith, having said earlier on that he eulogised about Zara, he was doing a lot of eulogising about Sam Byram towards the end of last season, talking about him as captaincy material and a player who, when they first arrived him in Shakespeare, had really, they knew about him, obviously, as they did about all those players, but had really surprised him how good Sam Byram was. So, those comments clearly indicated Sam Byron was set for a major role under Dean Smith in the championship. At the minute, he's obviously having to keep him in reserve. Um, so that's not an ideal situation. It's not ideal for the player as well. He would have wanted a full unencumbered pre-season, given his injury record, to feel he was really hardened and ready to go for the for the grind ahead. So once to, to keep an eye on, um, a concern at this stage, no doubt, but uh, maybe... It, on the broader zooming out element, it just underlines the depth that Norwich have. That we're talking about two injuries to potentially two key players, but for Cardiff, they can still go with Max Aaron's on the right and Hanley and Obama Daly in the middle of the park. Any other Championship team would take that all day long. Yeah, they absolutely would. Uh, let's conclude the pod then by by looking ahead to that that double header at Scotland. Um, in Scotland, sorry, uh, we started about the weather, so we'll end with the weather. I mean, you you kind of touched upon the weather forecast, Paddy. I'll, I'll read it for you. As things stand, obviously this will change about nineteen different times by the time we we actually get to Edinburgh. But uh, Friday, eighteen degrees. Saturday, twenty one. Sunday, twenty one. Monday 19, that sounds pretty glorious, doesn't it? Um, for, for me and you, who <laughs> clearly don't, not fans of the heat. Um, but uh, uh, in, in all seriousness, a completely different test for Norwich City. And I've said this a few times, but shows the absurdity of how many players they're carrying at the moment that they can play two friendlies on two separate days with two separate squads and probably have a few players spare as well. Um, obviously, the, the aim will be to get 90 minutes into a, a host of the players. I mean, how, how do you view this weekend? Do you feel that, the 11 that we see at Celtic is probably going to be as close to the one at Cardiff as we're going to get in this preseason. And and what does that maybe say about the Hibs contest? I mean, how, how do you kind of see the the dynamics working out in terms of the two squads that are selected for the two games? Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think the final question I put to Dean Smith at Cambridge was in your own mind, because he's not going to reveal it, you know, how close are you injury and fitness 
allowing at this stage to, to your 11 for Cardiff. And he said, I think something along the lines of, you know, yeah, it, it, there's things forming in his mind. But but then he went on to talk in, in a manner of a man who still has a few puzzlers. And, and why wouldn't he? You know, top end of the pitch defensively across the middle, wide areas, everywhere you look. You know, there are players staking claims uh, to be part of that 11 when real action begins at Cardiff uh, on July the 30th. So, no, I... I don't, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't probably at this stage take that Celtic team sheet as derivative because I think he will still be in that mode where he's unsure about a few areas of his squad. It probably will be be quite illuminating to us looking at it and trying to second guess Dean Smith how these two lineups play out. I mean, you could conceivably see Gunn starts one game, maybe plays one game and, and crawl the other, but for, for Cardiff. What does that tell us about who gets the nod? Because they they feel like they're very neck and neck, very evenly matched at the minute. So, um, no, I think I think there'll still be a, an element once we get post Hibs, and we're then gearing fully up for Cardiff. I think there'll still be an element, more than an element. In fact, it'll be very hard for for anybody to say with any confidence, right? Here's Dean Smith's eleven for Cardiff, and and this is why. You know, there's not really any debate front to back. I, I don't think that's going to be the case, but. Um, but that's what you want. That's what surely, surely Dean Smith wants a situation where he sits down at the team hotel Friday night in, in South Wales and him and Shakespeare are still pondering, you know, well, do we go with X? Do we go with Y? Um, you made a very good point for earlier in the pod, you know, the five sub rule, that expansion, that should surely favour a squad with the depth of Norwich moving forward now that, you know, those in-game changes, which are massive, and, and Norwich were not really able to do in the Premier League because they didn't have the quality and depth to, to improve what they had already on the park. That isn't going to be the case in the Championship. And and so that affords Dean Smith a degree of, well, yes, I'll go with this 11, but I've also got the capacity, if and when required during a game, um, to make changes and not materially weaken the side on the pitch. So, yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's, I mean, it's, and it's really... Now, the challenge for Dean Smith in the next two friendly games, but seven, eight days, is to you know percolate all these kind of poses and dilemmas and competitive battles that seem to have erupted all the way through that starting lineup and 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 arrive at a solution. And that's what he's paid to do. That's his job. But ultimately, arrive at a solution where he has, from the minute go at Cardiff, an eleven on the park who really send out a statement that uh, Norwich are probably going to be the team to beat. And and if you get that, then, uh, you know, I think there'll be quite a few championship teams will look at that 11 at Cardiff, see what Norwich have in reserve on the bench and think we finish above them, we're probably getting promoted. Yep, absolutely. That feels like a perfect place to leave it this week then. Thank you very much for listening. As we said, uh, we will be in Scotland this weekend to uh, cover both of those games against Celtic and Hibernian. Uh, It's going to be fascinating to see, going to be a fascinating test for Norwich City as well. And then it will be uh, all focus on Cardiff and that opening game of the season now, which is just over a week away, which uh, it feels incredibly exciting as as it always does when the new season comes around pinkin.com of course the place to go if you yet to take out a trial for the pinkin plus app then this really is the best time ahead of uh, a weekend in scotland we have plenty of exclusive content on there from uh, our trip across the border uh, so uh, make sure you, you you keep it locked to uh, all of our channels across them we'll of course have a, a podcast as well from scotland i would imagine and all of that good stuff 
uh, to keep you entertained as we approach the, uh, the the start of the championship season. Enjoy the rest of your week. Keep cool, keep safe, keep hydrated, and we'll see you again very, very soon. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.